it's kind of like the American dream, right? It's like you, you spend your life working for your retirement. Golly, what a lot of shit, man. I would tell young Lori to slow down and allow the season to do its work. Don't say healthy, don't say happy. Don't say well, and don't say normal. You show me one person on the planet who's healthy, happy, normal, and well. Who is that person? Is there something good that can be gained quickly? I don't know. So this episode got started when I really fell in love with Brian Harden's Daily Audio Bible, which we talked about in an early season. Brian came on to tell the story of his own podcast, his own life with God. It's a great one. And I finally started listening almost a year later. (laughs) Way to be honest. That's kind of how most things work in my life. Yeah. And the thing is, is that when you have any regular engagement with the Proverbs, they kind of end up disturbing you some. Because what they say about things like money and power and influence are uh, sort of alarming when I hold them up against my own aspirations. There's the podcast in a nutshell. The, the Proverbs seem to um, not align with your sense of what is good. Exactly. Which bodes well for you. Exactly. I just need to write a new set, new proverbs. <laughs> yeah, they're just wrong. Sorry, Solomon and Hezekiah and whoever How else. How wise are those guys really, though? Well, <laughs> evidently pretty wise. <laughs> it's just interesting. Why we wanted to have this conversation in response was sort of realizing that the things that I'm asking, that I ask God for most of the time, are things he would be completely irresponsible and unkind to give me. And what that comes down to in most cases is uh, variations of power. A little more money, a little more influence, and a little more success and visibility. Well, those aren't all so bad, right? Like, surely just a little bit more would be fine, right, God? Well, there's there's lots of distinctions to make here. In one sense, you're right. Bad? No. But when it comes to power, what I am asking for is really an increase of the abilities of my life, an increase of my reach. But power, like technology, as Kranzberg said, is sort of neither positive, negative, or neutral. As you and I were swapping notes on this episode earlier. Yeah, right. It's one of those quotes you kind of go, uh, okay. Right? It's a quote that makes sense in terms of Avatar, The Last Airbender. Most things. Like we said, <laughs> where you remember the episode, Zhang Zhang, the deserter. Yeah, of course. Aang, who is the Avatar. If you haven't seen Avatar, The Last Airbender, who are you? It's a fantastic kid series. It was actually something that I uh, included in an email to a guy asking about our mental library. Yeah, um, what were things that were influential? What are things that have influenced Fantastic you the most? series. Here's the Nickelodeon. deal. Yeah, I know. Four kingdoms, each one corresponding to an element. The four elements happen to be air, water, fire, earth. There's been a war because this figure, 
this messianic figure in the form of the Avatar who can control each of the elements, whereas most nations only steward one, has gone missing. And he's come back after 100 years of absence, which I'll just say, 100 years of absence? Yeah, right. Try 400 years of absence or much longer, or like the 900 years. I thought you were going to say like 2,000. Regular goes. You know what covers more than 2,000 years? The book of Genesis more than one time. Anyway, so... Avatar comes back in the form of this kid, Aang, who has to learn uh, to interface with water and fire and earth. He already knows how to bend in the terms of the show air. Uh, and then he'll be able to use these abilities to restore right, but he has to harmony and autonomy. Well, they run into this guy in the course of uh, he's learning water a little bit, I think. I don't really remember where we are in this series. Right, he has to find teachers. He hasn't mastered them, and they find this uh, defector from the Fire Nation, which is the antagonistic nation in the series, Zhang Zhang. And Aang quickly goes, Zhang Zhang, you're the the only firebender out of the Fire Nation that we've found. Can you teach me firebending? And Zhang Zhang goes, no. You're out of your ever-loving mind. To which it's, Aang a, it's goes, a kid show, so Aang goes, yeah. you know, it's my destiny to learn these things. And Jong Jong goes, Only a fool seeks his own destruction, which really is an adaptation of many of the Proverbs. And he simply goes, You haven't mastered the other elements. Water is soothing. Without someone to move it, a rock will not throw itself, but fire will grow and consume everything you love. That's a wonderful metaphor for power. Whether it's influence, uh, whether it's success, I say in quotes, or whether it's an increase in the capital endowment, the money of your kingdom. What, what I'm asking for is this increase of this thing that's incredibly volatile and may well grow and can devour everything I love. Right. So part of the question for this conversation stemmed from how are you someone who can handle it? Because we had a conversation a long time ago when dad and I were writing Killing Lions. And I remember having a posture towards money at the time that was like, well, there seems to be this like shallow end, to use a water metaphor, of the world of money that's like safe. You don't have too much. You don't have to like fear indulging in mammon. You're not like worshiping this other idol. So you can have like a little bit. But to have too much money to get deeper and deeper in is actually quite uh, bad and dangerous and it is this form of power and you end up worshiping in this other thing. But the conversation we ended up having was that there, it, money in this case was a resource in the world and there's only so much of it. And so why wouldn't you want good kings, good people to be stewarding that? Therefore, oh, for sure. It's not like something to be afraid of. Well, I don't think not that. Yeah, that's a great point. But here's Proverbs 38 and 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me this before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. That was the one that in particular I went. I have never prayed the entirety of that prayer and yes absolutely wanting wise people stewarding resources it's not really actually what i'm talking about 
well, it's not, it's other people, it's yourself in this case, right? Like, cause you're not asking God for things that will, uh, like the fire in the, in Aang's case, burn everything, right? You're like turned right. towards the piece of power. And, you know, the Proverbs have tons to say about the fruitfulness of labor. I mean, lazy hands make for poverty. Diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son. He who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Or in, tw- or in chapter 12, diligent hands will rule. There's this element of committing to the process. You end up being the person who's stewarding the resources. There's this latent thing in there that goes through the process. Right. You become the one who is fundamentally inoculated to the potency of riches and you can therefore handle them. Oh my goodness. But that's so you said you've only played part of that prayer when it comes to money. Oh, exactly. There's the it's easy to go, I, I don't want so little that I have to steal in the Proverbs case. But like I've the pressure of not having enough to get groceries, pay the electrical bill, pay rent, like that is a psychological form of torture that we've watched affect people that are really close to us. And, and like, I haven't entered entirely deep into those waters. And so I know that like some of our prayer requests has always been like that God, you would steward, you would guide, you would give us what we need. But I do end up sort of subconsciously looking on the abundance side of the scale where I'm like <laughs> the old country song money can't buy me happiness, but it can buy me a boat. Yes. And it's like, well, God, you know, I think if you really loved me and saw that what I was doing was worthwhile, that I would have a boat. Yeah. There's definitely, I like the way Seth Godin frames this conversation in calling money a story. And we're not going to just talk about money. We're also going to touch on influence and success here in the second and third parts of the conversation. But he goes, there is an existential threshold you need to meet. And that has to do with housing and food and we could rope in their work, kind of a position, and go, absolutely, that is a very real problem uh, for a lot of people that God is uniquely equipped to address, and it's lower than I think it is. Like, and then he goes, after it, it's a story, and what much of the world's work is, is telling you things that are wants, are needs, and affecting your worldview until I go, I need X, Y, and Z. Where this kind of, where the rubber met the road on this is I was talking with a friend recently, Jesse, actually, who was saying, man, I just, he was talking about what the church has called blessed constraints. And he was just talking about how at this season in his life, uh, the constraint of having, you know, resources for groceries and housing. And also he's going into debt because he's a student right now is a major limiting factor on his maturity. That's helpful. It's a limiting factor. that's contributing to his maturity. And he said, I'm, you know, here in town, my wife recently was watching me the evening as I was at a, you know, I don't remember, like a parent's house or a friend's house. And I was going over to pour and pour a drink. And she went, you know, you, you drink a lot. And obviously I went, oh yeah, I can tell you what my internal response is there. My response is not, you're right, hon. It's 
that's not true and I deserve this and compared to other people and you don't know I'm such a good person but allowing the pause to go in there and go oh it's it's what we reach for for relief and he was going money is creating the situation where things that are shortcuts to relief in the form of just being able to go buy dinner there's nothing wrong with that but it's totally possible for going and buying dinner to be a shortcut to relief that actually working through some marital tension is supposed to provide or that reaching for alcohol or the daily latte or it doesn't have to be that big. It can be the small thing resources allows that's a shortcut across the territory of being able to enjoy God. One of the things I've noticed recently in observing the spiritual disciplines is that they're all free. You know, nothing in a life with God costs any money. So, and it was Sherry Snyder who was pointing out that it's beautiful that contemplative prayer and the practice of Christian meditation does the same kinds of things that, say, talk therapy does. And she just goes, the resources of restoration are just profligate. They're just out there in the universe going, actually, you can be taught this. You can learn this with incredibly limited resources. It doesn't cost any money to contemplate beauty and therefore increase your soul's capacity for beauty and therefore get to the point where beauty actually becomes something that restores you. On the other hand, I have... So here's the things that I would like money to be doing for me right now. The dinner one is a great example because it's just the other night. It was the kind of thing where M had a place to be and, you know, and we're running behind and the day had been errandy already and just kind of, you know, like feeling like our parenting was just not working. And we have this small window to pull dinner together and it is just not happening what would be so awesome and is again isn't a wrong kind of thing to do in principle would be you know what let's just can this let's run across the street there's a great indian restaurant and you know drop the not a ton 30 dollars needed for dinner but what was really needed in the circumstance i'm talking about was like slow down pray into these things pray for more than 30 seconds Pray for more than 45 seconds, which are kind of my two go-to prayers, I think, take about respectively those two lengths and go, no, we need to turn into sort of the resources of our marriage and the resources of our spiritual authority to exercise dominion in our kingdom and like pray for not even that long, a little bit and text people to pray and do that sort of uh, concrete mature development exercise that could have been totally avoided were the constraint of like money not there. And and yet, this relates back to what my prayer or where my sort of, not even conscious prayer, but unconscious pleading with God ends up being would be, make the margin slightly wider. Give me slightly more accessible relief than I have right now. Slightly more ability. And just observing, well, actually that constraint is really contributing to uh, developing a resilient marriage. I'm aware that so many of the things that I end up asking God for or feeling like I want direction on, um, many of them are actually about money and about this desire to sort of not have need 
because having some sort of need really does require me to enter into the moment, to enter into uh, that place that I'm feeling unequipped or like I haven't been making the right decisions. And it, as a younger age, it was about work. You know, like what am I supposed to do? What are the next five years about? What, like should I be writing? But many of those do end up finding them like their root in money. And what I'm aware of is like if I was getting you know six figure annual checks for the rest of my life, it would actually be very difficult in this season to be interacting with God. Um, and there is there are plenty of verses about uh, the. It, it is more difficult for the wealthy man to enter the kingdom than the poor man because there's the same reaction that I would have if God gave me the roadmap for the next five years is the reaction I would have if somebody gave me a million dollars. I'd be like, oh, I'm good. Like, I don't actually need you. I will see you again when I have need. But for now, I don't. Like, I, there's going to be the, the quote-unquote increased margins. There's going to be a little bit more vacation. We're going to get the membership to the local pool, which... <laughs> feels at our current life stage like the most bougie expensive thing in the world but it's this like tiny kind of janky pool in this little neighborhood in this little city in this country like it's not that swanky but because it costs several hundred dollars it's like this massive thing to us and I think if I could just wipe all that out the the person that I see myself being is the person who's like well I don't actually have to engage these places anymore that were causing me to slow down, were causing me to have these conversations with God, were causing me to have conversations with my wife, whatever it may be. That's not to say that somebody could be making that and still be having them. I think those people exist. So I'm not like, if you happen to make that money, congratulations. But it genuinely is more difficult because you have, uh, I think, different areas where the pain begins to manifest. And one of those arenas for us <laughs> so often, you know, this is the 90th episode. Money has come up what more than 10, 20, 30% of the time in these podcasts, because it is a thing that is part identity and part power and part like a list, a litmus test on how good God is, which also is a reflection of how often money comes up in the teachings of Jesus, which is more than any other topic except the kingdom of God. Well, that's just another way that we're very Christ-like. <laughs> oh, man. Here, here are some ones to, to keep hitting you where you live. Dallas Willard has a lot to say about the biblical concept of righteousness uh, and its relationship with sort of Old and New Testament, Hebrew concept plus Greek concept of eudaimonia or flourishing, and go righteousness as one of the core goals of the human life has this incredible history and significance in the narrative down through the old testament into the new testament into the present time we could apply so many words to it the virtuous seasoned wise clear-sighted person and an interesting thing in the proverbs is what righteousness as we'll see here in a second is often contrasted against. I just love this. Uh, Proverbs eleven sixteen. A kind-hearted woman gains honor, but ruthless men gain only wealth. Another one. 
Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And that honor being related to righteousness, there's this, oh man, the kind person is, is stepping into her destiny and the joy that it involves. But, but the person who's ruthless, man, they only have money. The thing to say again here, we, we sh- I wish in a podcast there was a way to just put a b- big asterisk in the middle of an episode and go. We could just yell at you. Well, I feel if a person is, I can anticipate the listener who goes, well, hang on, wealth, wealth in the kingdom of God. Uh, yes, okay. Uh, Proverbs 13, 11, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. And there's definitely this absolutely uh, becoming wise with money, which usually relates to being sort of wise across a number of fields, is super important. And there aren't actually a lot of shortcuts, fortunately, to growing wealth. It is this slow, unsexy thing. Yeah, right. I mean, it's Jesus' parable of the talents. Like, the people who were trustworthy with it didn't, like, pass a test and then had the thing taken away. Right. right. There was more given. There was more trust than... That just that increases. So that the asterisk, like, so yep, that totally is a category. Yep. Becomes to grow wealth, and sort of uh, look again at what your life is for. This is a great one to transition into work, honor, righteousness. A moment you're talking about success, which I can't tell you how often I kind of wish my reach was a little bit bigger, or the recognition for my writing or whatever were a little. Bigger than it is right now, and right now is always just right now. So, you know, however it may be growing or shrinking in and out of like the feeling of various seasons isn't significant. The thing is, more is better. Oh man, I just love. Uh, here's another corker. Again, this is where it starts to get disturbing. <laughs> and uh, Proverbs twelve nine, better to be nobody and yet have a servant. Then pretend to be somebody and have no food. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> oh, man. That's so good. And it's funny, it like if it were less accurate to real scenarios we've seen and walked alongside of, of go, yeah, you you look good and are aggregating all of the material and social expressions of success, but you are not doing well, not just internally, you're not doing well in the level of debt you're carrying. And so but, but this thing of I'm being told, oh, it would be better to have no recognition and for your house to be doing well. For there sort of to be the, the pillars of, in the Hebrew concept of a household, everything's intact. Yeah, I mean, this is the very first episode we started with, was the success as defined by a young man. And I remember uh, attending Morgan's intensive. And it, he starts off by naming king after king after king in the modern sense of the word um ceos athletes um politicians people that you look to when you say who is successful what does success look like and i want to have a person and a, and a lifestyle in mind and story after story after story where they blew up their their worlds for drugs for sex for you name it any number of things like that there's actually this <laughs> It got very depressing, this this trend, this this view where you go, when these people who in the eyes of the world became very successful have this deep 
unanswered brokenness inside this that they've they have attained the thing that we say that we want and like the wildfire it consumed everything right and at this point it is helpful to say that the world's conception of success as we've said before is fundamentally wrong and does not help does not do anything for the human soul i know but 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 but, but stop wait a minute but haven't you also thought you're like okay I want to be a writer. I want to write beautiful things. I don't want to just write uh, journal entries and throw them out there unless it's for a magazine. Um, but when I write fiction, when I write this piece, I I need to be like Annie Dillard. I need to win the Pulitzer the Prize, Pulitzer Prize yep. and with my first book. And she wrote it at 18. I missed that one already. And so I literally had that as a benchmark. When I was like 16, I'm like, okay, I still got time. I thought I was 19. I was like, damn it. I know. Every year that passes, uh, I'm aware of my lost opportunity to be a young genius. But exactly. No. What I want is this kind of success. And how I would frame this part of the conversation is the kingdom alternative is better. It's not actually that you might not get success. It's that you get what your soul is built for and what you will enjoy more. Which in my case is success. Oh, we think so. (laughs) I want to be the exception. I've used this before. Here's my favorite quote about... I want the money and the power. Writing. Shut up, Proverbs. It relates to all creating from Flannery O'Connor. La, 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 la. No matter how just the criticism, any criticism at all which depresses you to the extent that you feel you cannot write anything worth anything is from the devil, and to subject yourself to it is for you an occasion of sin. In you, the talent is there. You are expected to use it. Whether the work itself is completely successful or whether you ever get any worldly success out of it is a matter of no concern to you. It is like the Japanese swordsmen who are indifferent to getting slain in the duel. You do not write the best you can for the sake of art, but for the sake of returning your talent increased to the invisible God to use or not use as he sees fit. Resignation to the will of God does not mean that you stop resisting evil or obstacles. It means that you leave the outcome out of your personal considerations. It is the most concern coupled with the least concern. Yeah, we've used that quote before because... You guys should like get it on a poster and put it in your office or your writing space. When we've talked to successful artists before on the podcast and privately off of a recording, that actually ends up being the posture that is the mo- the, the only way that's sustainable. Like there are probably stories um, where somebody had a connection or they happened to win the lottery and make it big on the first go you know the stories that we love to just hold up there is like there are shortcut there are shortcuts they are possible and you could be next everybody else whether they are big time or small time seems to need to make this shift into this is who i am i need to do this regardless of what happens and i will choose to do this and hone this in the privacy of my own home or my own workshop whether nobody ever sees it the lottery is a great example because the lottery makes literally millions of dollars by promising people there's a shortcut. It just happens to be a lie. It just makes me think of Bart Gavigan, who was one example of creating to God. And 
when it comes to success in his own work, God is constantly going, ah, oh, no, you're not going to talk to David Oyelo at this bar. You're going to talk to the man to your left who needs to hear from you. No, you're not going to take the uh, materially beneficial position of being a script doctor. You're going to refuse it for the benefit of my kingdom. And, and what he gets is better. This is the point here that what he gets is to walk with God. What he gets is to walk with a particular God, the creator of all things, even the lesser deities. Right. He doesn't end up beings. He doesn't end up needing to not do the things that he loves and is talented in. He still gets those, but he gets them in the way that God has in mind. Right. It reminds me of Stephen Pressfield, who in the War of Art talks about, yeah, don't you're not looking for genius or like the hit. You labor at the door of craft. There's this parallel there with, man, what we are meant to do in our work is sort of uh, commit to the practice of a life with God, commit to the craft elements of our labor. And what God knows is that what we will actually get is the thing that we will enjoy that is itself enjoyable, which is a life with God, which is righteousness, this flourishing and yet, I'm just saying, the things that I ask for, man, ask for in terms of committing my energy to are a few more readers, a slightly better response, more thumbs up. And it, you know, just goes, ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value. Righteousness delivers from death. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath. Righteousness delivers from death. <laughs> Again, kind-hearted woman gains honor. Ruthless men only get wealth, which is as much as saying, but ruthless men get what they deserve. <laughs> Where's the proverb where it says, but you get to take your Pulitzer with you into the kingdom? Yeah. No, it's Proverbs 35, nice. long after the book ends. <laughs> <laughs> so it has me wondering, and as we talked about before we sat down to record, what would it look like uh, for my desires to align with things that actually had value? I think it would be kind of realizing that what I want and what wealth is offering, wealth doesn't actually give because what I want is this level of flourishing, joy in my work, like uh, to see the kingdom coming in my friends and community, to see the kingdom of God, the reign of Jesus. Okay, this is like a serious thing coming into my home, universe, kingdom. What we sort of you know, concluded in thinking of this is looking at this pivot of vision of going, man, a lot of the things I'm asking for, God would be very unkind to give me if they are as volatile as the world and the Proverbs say they are. So if God were to go, you know what? Yes, I'm just going to give you a little more residual income apart from all the natural ways that that happen. And by the way, in so doing, I'm just going to degrade the quality of your family and the quality of your creative work and the quality of your life with me. Go, ooh, I don't want to be the ruthless man who gets what he deserves. <laughs> I don't want to be the guy who's chasing going a few more listeners when it goes, oh, dear. No, 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 no. It's better to have some, it's better to be nobody and yet have uh, the core pillars of your household intact than to be thought of as really something and have no food. Uh, I think I'm forced to admit um, 
a tendency to romanticize things and then not actually choose towards them. Um, the woman who is righteous and the the path of becoming a, this person, like I, it's really difficult actually. Um, there's this beautiful animated film called the wolf children is like the poor English translation, but in it, there's this mother who gets this old house and, and it's this land in the kind of countryside. And it shows this sort of time-lapse of her fixing it up and rebuilding it and turning it into a beautiful space. And it takes years. And I remember watching it. And I'm like, Oh, that's so beautiful. I'd love to kind of have that effect on a space and take a home that could be dilapidated and make it beautiful. And, and raise a family there and yet when it comes to my actual choices in my actual life I'm like I don't want to choose that I want to have the ten thousand dollars come flying out of the air so I can have somebody else renovate this home or this bathroom I don't want to do it I don't want to actually have to like go through hard work and learn these things and and the thing is that I do but I have I in like this sitting in the, what do I want? What am I asking God for? What am I really choosing towards? I, I, I have to admit it. I, I have to sit and go, Oh, like again, I am choosing. I am choosing if I were given the option, the easier way. And I don't want to. Such an honest evaluation. And that's true for me too. Of, I've written about money many times, but I don't, what I have begun to observe is a lack of change in my everyday posture and to go man why is that and even part of the impetus behind so heavily incorporating the pro the reason that this came out of the proverbs is that it is becoming clear to me that just going oh wealth is not the way over and over even making it a mantra is failing to produce in me uh, like an actual change of valuation like my economies of attraction aren't changing and to go well what is what is sort of the pathway for that happening and here just two things that are incredibly helpful and that you know I, I obviously owe to older men who have walked us out and can look back one of those older men is Brian Hardin his reflection on the Proverbs is awesome where he just goes we need to fall in love with these because they say over and over that regularly regularly engaging wisdom and wanting it, wanting what Solomon asks for in the God-listening heart, will change you, will change you. And, and regularly wanting and asking to have a heart that sees what is valuable produces change. And I, there's sort of this invitation to me right now to go a layer deeper than going, okay, want to become a good man, want virtue, not craft. It goes, okay, yes, that's the outcome, but what is the way to do that? And it actually kind of looks like more simple of, well, some of the ancient ways there would be, uh, how about ask to and make practices to become wise, be someone who falls in love with the Proverbs, which themselves begin to produce change. And you know, for me, one thing God has done in this area recently is don't ask to not want money. Like, ask uh, to regularly see the things that are valuable in the kingdom, to actually like 
the life that God says is wonderful. Because once I actually see that they're valuable, there's sort of a corresponding movement of desire to go, oh, not only do I understand in concept that work and creativity in a secret space is good, but I am now being sort of fundamentally compelled towards it. 